0: Thank you, thank you. Hey, uh, this northern guy was driving through this uh, small southern town, and, and he noticed this nativity scene, and he couldn't get out. It was just beautiful, it, and he 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 looked he's like man. Somebody has gone to great lengths to create this. It, it is just incredible. But the more he, and the closer he looked, something just kind of puzzled him. The wise men, all all the wise men had on fireman helmets, and he's just racking his brain trying to figure it out, so he's finally like, I, I don't know, so he's driving out of town, but before he go, gets all the way out of town, he stops at a local convenience store. He's paying for his gas, then he asks the clerk, said, hey, uh, I noticed your, your community nativity scene. Man, it, she said, yeah, we are so proud of that, and he said, it's beautiful, he said, but can I ask you a question? What is up with the wise men, all wearing fireman helmets. She said, you northerners, you don't know anything about the Bible. She pulls her Bible out there and brings up the Christmas stories. Look, right here it says they came from afar. <laughs> come on now. Come on. I worked on that one. I worked on it. Give it to me. Give it to me. Come on. <laughs> Hey, it has been said, though, if it had been the three wise women instead of three wise men, things would have been different. They said the three wise men would have stopped and asked for directions. The three wise men, they would have been there to help deliver baby Jesus, or the three wise women, they would have been there to help deliver the baby Jesus. Uh, If it had been three wise women, they would have cleaned the stable and brought a casserole. And they would have brought practical gifts like diapers, you know, wet, wet wipes. But it was the men. So anyway, so, so let's get on. Hey, last week we're in Luke 2 in this uh, Christmas series, Christmas Unwrapped. Today, if you've got a Bible want to go out and get there, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We're going to bring the Scripture up on the screen. Uh, but I want to try to set this up the best way I know how. How many are a fan of documentaries? You like to watch documentaries. I like to watch something. if it has to do with groups, artists, singers, musicians, I, I like to see where they came from and, and different things like that. But I was watching a documentary uh, about this guy, uh, and it's crazy. Um, Let me ask this. For Have you ever watched a documentary and thought this person was just stupid? They deserve everything they got. Come on. My wife watches this show where people get in these relationships online with people from another country, and then they go there and find out they're not what they thought they were. And I'm thinking, "You're you're an idiot. Come on. I don't tell them that. I'm just thinking it. I'm not, I am Christian. Uh, so. But anyway, you ever saw that? You thought, they deserve it. Well, in this one I was watching, I uh, saw one about this man that was, he said he was on the journey to find the love of his life. His plan, the only plan he had, I'm going to find the woman I love, the love of my life. So the interviewer asked him, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going to somewhere west of Australia in the Indian Ocean. And I'll give you, uh, I Googled it, that point, and that is the farthest part of the world from where we are today. I mean, it's a long, long way away. So, and it, the story just gets even crazier. Uh, but they asked, and said, well, how did you meet her? Did you meet chatting online? Did you meet in a, a chat room or dating app or what that? And, and the guy's like, um, No, we haven't even met. I've never even talked to her. And and I'm thinking, this guy is insane. Come on, wouldn't you agree? He's He's never met this woman that he's calling the love of his life, yet he's about to take off across the world on this trip. And the guy's like, says, we haven't even talked yet. I've never even met them. He says, they don't even know that I exist. But I love them. Anybody think that sounds like a terrible plan? Come on, anybody, be honest. That sounds like a terrible plan. He, and and he, he keeps going. He says, I'm in love with someone that doesn't even know I exist. Th- those doing the documentary end up finding this unknown person, this woman that he's going across the world, and look up her social profile, her social media base, she's not a good person. In fact, I would go for it. she's a horrible person. when, when you're looking at her and she's getting ready, he's getting ready to take off. I'm watching this. And I'm thinking, man, where are your friends at? Come on. Where is somebody that's going to say, dude, are you kidding me? Don't waste your energy. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. Don't waste your heart. On on going that distance to somebody that doesn't even know you exist. Can we agree that is an insane plan? Yeah, that's the Christmas story. Think about it. I mean, that... I know that sounds like an episode of Dateline where somebody goes missing. But that's the Christmas story. A God who travels across the universe to a people that he don't even know He exists yet just to find them and let them know, I love you. I mean, here's... Anybody ever read, and I know we're not supposed to say this, but, man, that just sounds crazy, God. But anybody ever read something in the Bible that God does? And you're like, that, that just sounds crazy. Come on. I would have done things different, God, and that's why we're not God. But anyway, think, here's God's plan to save the world. You're God. You surpass time and space. You literally, literally created the universe in six days. You have the ability to be everything, everywhere, all at once. No movie bus. No, let's move on. Come on. No, you didn't get that, Sheridan? Yes. and you, But your plan to save the world is to strip yourself of all your power, travel away from home, become one man, one place, and one time, and in the process, you limit yourself in this human body. That's your plan to save the world. Your plan as God all power to save humanity is to take on manhood. I mean, think about the heroes that re- we grew up reading about and we watch on TV, guy, like Superman, Thor, Wonder Woman. And, and these people, <laughs> they use their superpowers from another planet. They bring those superpowers to Earth to help save Earth, right? I mean, come on, this is not a trick question. They, they've got superpowers on their planet. They bring those planets to our earth and do incredible things. That, that, that's their plan, not God. His plan is I'm going to go and become just like one of them. Another thing about those super how, power, or superheroes, none of them come here because they want to. Either their planet is being destroyed and they're forced here or they're fleeing some evil villain and they end up here. Not God. He came here because he wanted to. He left heaven on purpose. And if you're wondering why we're doing this thing on superheroes right now, I'm trying to make this point here that it was God that took all the initiative to come after us. He took it on. Here's the thing. He wasn't running from anybody when he came here. In fact, he was running to somebody. Stay with me. I know we got a lot of cute babies in the house, but you can see them afterwards up here. Because I see, I, I look at y'all people, and I, I see them. Looking. I'm like, are they looking at me? No, they're looking at a baby. Oh. My wife's the only one who looks at me like that. Anyway, let's go. But God looked down into our world. He saw the brokenness, the hurt, the hopelessness, the damage that, get this, we had pretty much caused ourselves, right? We've done it ourselves. And it broke his heart, and his heart it was so full of love for us that without even thinking about it, he, he's like, we didn't send up a sign to him. We didn't tell him we wanted him or needed him. He said, I'm going after them. Whatever it takes, I'll become one of them. I'll take on their pain. I'll find out what grief is like. I'll find out what being alone is like. And ultimately, I'm going to die for them. See, when you think about other gods in our world, the small g gods in our world, if you want to please them, if you want to find favor in their sight, if you want to appease them, you have to do something. It's all about how you perform, how you work, what you do. Not with our God. He came for us with this purpose in mind. Shower grace, mercy, favor, and redemption on a lost people. See, and here's the truth, guys we didn't ask for it, we didn't do anything to deserve it. We weren't good enough, we aren't good enough, and we aren't righteous enough. In fact, the Bible says that even before we were Christian, while we were yet still sinners, He died for us. And God took off his Godhood and put on flesh and blood. Why? One purpose only, to find and rescue us. So the questions we have to ask this morning is this. Is there anything God would not do to reach someone? Is there a distance God wouldn't go to reach someone? Is there a person that is too bad that God would look at them or their social media profile and say, no? Is there a place that God wouldn't go to? Is there a person that is too distant, too far away from God? And we're going to jump into Matthew 2, starting with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Now, now, when I read that, I understand why Herod's disturbed. The thought of a new king coming on the scene, that would disturb the king that's in play right then, right? But why all of Jerusalem disturbed? This seems like it would bring excitement because this is talking about somebody they've heard the prophecies about. They've heard, hey, the Messiah is going to be born. Why would they disturb? And here's why I think... I think because they remember the last time a king's empire was threatened. And Pharaoh ordered the mass murder of every male child two years old and under. And I think they thought, man, what if Herod pulls a Pharaoh? And if you know the Christmas story, he does. And so that's why they were nervous. And I'm saying that because you need to understand the real, the true Christmas story. It was a very tense time in that li- in, in, in that in that uh, history. There, when King Herod heard this, was he was disturbed. All Jerusalem with him, we he to call together all the people, all the chief priests, all the teachers of the law. He asked them, "Hey, where's the Messiah going to be born?" In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet's written. You, Bethlehem, in the, midst of, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi, secretly found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship. Anybody have any Christmas traditions? Come on, so, Yeah, Three people have Christmas traditions. The rest of you just kind of wing it. Let's just see what this year brings us. Then, let me tell you how we got a Christmas tree when I was growing up. And I know some of you might yeah, this will ring a bell. Here's my, what well, my dad, my dad would say, "Boys, let's go, let's go get a tree. We'd jump in the truck. We'd drive down the highway. Till we saw a tree, we thought, oh, that, that, that would make a great Christmas tree. Dad would pull over, jump out of the truck, get a chainsaw, cut the tree down, throw it back back the truck, and we'd be have it at home. I would love for some of y'all to try that today. Just drive down the road, find you a tree, and start cutting it down. See how long it takes for the gets there. But that was, our, that was our tradition. Now, when we had our kids... Uh, Growing up, our tradition was we'd go to a tree farm, cut it down, and and we'd bring that house. And our kids, listen, I know we may create some division here. There was, we do not have anything but a real tree. There are no artificial trees allowed in this house. And listen, we were good with that. We believed that same way until our kids moved out. And they were like, they ain't got to deal with this mess. They're getting a fake tree. They're getting a fake tree. But we had traditions. Uh, another one of our traditions uh, is uh, growing up in the church I grew up with, South Creek Church of God. They would, every year they would have this huge nativity scene outdoor where you could drive past, and the, the church is right on Highway 27. It was massive, and my mom directed it. In fact, she would tell a story that uh, my birthday is December 15th, just in case you didn't know. Uh, but she'd tell the story that, uh, that I was born on the 15th. On the 16th, she was back directing the, the nativity scene. And if you know my mom, you'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. But we would have these, this huge nativity scene. And when, when you think about the nativity scene, here's what we had. We had a manger. Got to have a manger, right? Got to have shepherds. We talked about them last week. A couple other sheep. Got, we, had, we had sheep. We would always throw a donkey in because in, living in the South, we always knew somebody that had a donkey. So we'd throw a donkey in the mix. We'd have a couple of angels that hovered over the scene. Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, and three kings. Some reason we settled on the number three for the kings. I don't know why. The Bible doesn't say there were three, but we've settled on three. Maybe it was because uh, they brought three gifts. But maybe one of them was like my mom who would show up at an event and knew somebody's going to be there without a gift and be like, hey, listen, oh, you didn't bring one? I brought three extra. Here you go. But they brought three gifts. But I want to look at this. Look at verse 7 and 11 again. Herod called the Magi, secretly found them, uh, uh, and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. Send them to Bethlehem. Let's move on to verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, bowed down, worshipped him, Then they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now go back to 7. Herod called the who? Come on, church. He called who? The Magi. Anybody ever heard the Christmas carol? Uh, We three Magi of Orient are... Three kings. Where do we get three kings? It's not in the Bible. Bible doesn't, we either call them three kings or we, or, or we call them wise men. A wise man, there's nothing in the Bible that says they were kings. So, so why do we replace the word magi with three kings or wise men? I can tell you why, because it sounds a lot better that three kings or wise men show up than it does a magi. But we, we, we're bad about doing that. Take a word that makes us uncomfortable and then change the meaning of it or give it a different word. You know, like a... Uh, yeah, go ahead, Kelly. We don't say fat. A big bone. That's nicer. We don't say short. We say vertically challenged. We don't say dumb or Stupid. We say, bless their heart. Uh, We we don't say gossip. It's a prayer request. Mm -hmm. Those are humorous. What about, we don't say, really say death. They passed away. Lie, it's a fib. Adultery is an affair. Sex is sleeping with someone. Hateful or rude, no, they're just keeping it real. Everyone to say, no, you're just a jerk. You're not keeping it real. You're just a jerk. I, you, you've never been told that before, have you, Brand? <laughs> We, We don't say poor. We say less fortunate. We don't say abortion. We say termination of pregnancy. We don't say sin. We messed up. And we take words that make us uncomfortable and give them a new name. And we've done this also with the real Christmas story. And, and what we know is the nativity scene. Think about the nativity scene you've, you grew up with. You've got shepherds at that nativity scene, right? Right. We talked about the shepherds last week. And we're all, We're fine with shepherds being there. Even though they were considered the lowlifes, they were considered the outcasts, social outcasts. But we're fine with shepherds being at the nativity, the birth of the king. We're fine with angels being there. In fact, why wouldn't angels be at the birth of the Son of God? But magi, can we call them something else? I know, let's, let's call them kings because kings would show up at the birth of another king. Or let's call them wise men, but not magi. Anybody want to guess what word we get from magi? Magic, magician. I'm willing to bet a lot of money that there is no one in this room that has a nativity set with Chris Angel in it. <laughs> Although that would be cool. Some of y'all, who's Chris Angel? You may have three kings, you may have three wise men, but you don't have any magicians in it. Yet when we read and unwrap the Christmas story, we have these three magi, magicians, that have somehow worked their way into the story of God. And and you do some research on them, and here's what you'll find. The three magi, they were not Jewish. They were not Israelites. They were not from the people of Abraham. They're not even Hebrew. In fact, they have a totally different belief system than the Jewish people. You do a deeper dive, here's what you'll find. They were from a sect of an ancient Persian religion called Zoroastrianism. In fact, a lot of the studies that I did on this said that these guys were actually Zoroastrian priests of this religion. And here's what I really want you to understand. I I need you to see who these guys were. Because at this point in their life, when they see the star and say, we've got to go find Jesus, they, they didn't believe in the God of the Jews. Are you hearing me? They knew nothing about the, the, the prophecy of a future Messiah being born. They were Persian. That's modern-day Iran. And they have a completely different belief system, different theology. They've got a different God that they pray to. Yet, they go on this search for God. See, what we need to understand, what led them to this search wasn't the writings of Moses, Isaiah, or one of the other Old Testament prophets. None of those things led them to the baby Jesus. You know what led them there? You know the answer. Star. Star. Do you know why they were, do you know why a star led them there? Why they saw the star? They were looking for it. They were astrologers. That, that was part of their religion. They looked to the stars to find out more about their future. About, and that's what they believed. They were looking for the stars. And they see this star that captivates them and they said, we've got to go find out what this is all about. And if we're going to really unwrap Christmas, we have to really look into the question, what were the magi, the magicians, the astrologers, what were they doing at the birth of the king, the Messiah, the Son of God? Verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 2 and 1 again. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Get this. They didn't come there and ask, hey, where is the one that has been born king of the world? Where is the one that has been born king of the Persians? They asked, where is the one that has been born king of the Jews? I heard one, one of my favorite writers and, and, and teachers, Erwin McManus, said this about that question when they said, where's the one called king of the Jews, born of the king of the Jews? He said this. Bring that up for me. Their question was not a statement that they, that they did not want Jesus to be their king. It was a statement that they weren't sure he would want to be their king. Why would they even make that assumption? I don't know. Maybe because of the same reason a lot of people in our world make the assumption that because of where they're in life, because they've been around followers of Jesus that have told them God wouldn't want you like you are. God wouldn't want you in the shape you're in and the mess you're in. So maybe that's the thing. Maybe they said, listen, it's not that we don't want him to be our king. It's just We're not sure that he would want to be the king of somebody the likes of us. We don't even believe the same. We don't even, uh, we, we don't, and, and, but, but I love the Magi because they're not even invited to the party they just show up they're like party crashers I mean they they just show up and this again I admire this they didn't wait for an invitation they saw a star that captured their attention and they show up with no knowledge of God and they say where is the one who's been born king of the Jews We saw a star, it rose, and we've come to worship him. They show up with no invitation, but they're like, listen, we we don't know exactly what you believe. We know what we believe, and what we believe is different. But what we do know is we saw something that drew us to this place, that drew us to this baby, and we've got to worship this baby. And they begin when they see that star. They set out on a search that will change their lives forever. When I, when I read this story about how God used something of the world to reach peop, other people, I can't help be reminded of one of our very own, Candace Wallace, if you know her. And if you don't know her testimony, I'm going to give you a real brief. She was an atheist for 25 years. Went to, she went to the, uh, the, the uh, bookstore to find a book to reaffirm her beliefs or unbeliefs. I don't know how you say that, atheism. And she got a book that she thought by an author that she thought was atheist. Turns out he was an ex-atheist. Bought that book and went home, began to read it. And heard this ex-atheist begin to tell how God revealed himself to him. And it changed his life. Well, that started a conversation in her head. Well, then I'm telling you, you got to hear her whole story. Well, then a few weeks later, two women show up on her doorstep. She wasn't looking for them, didn't ask for them. They show up, ring her doorbell, said, hey, we'd like to know, would you like for us to just read the Bible with you? And I'm telling you, God began to transform her life because I'm learning. God can use anything he wants, anybody he wants to, to win people and bring them back to him. We're the, women that, we're the ones that limit what God can use. See, we've been criticized here at Watts Bar Community Church. We've been confused, uh, criticized by people over the use of our secular music in some of our things, over videos we use, over the use of secular music in our Easter drama. But, and, and it used to really bother me. But me and my wife, we've got to a place where like, we don't really care because we've seen God use those things to bridge a gap to people that normally would never walk in a church door, but now they're coming and hearing something. Because, listen, contrary to popular belief, those that need Jesus aren't listening to your local Christian radio station. Bob made me aware of this a couple years ago. Uh, a nationwide broadcast about us. A preacher was talking about how church has become disgusting to him, and he was disgusted with a church that he's passed by several times in East Tennessee area, and that, in his words, he said it used to be called Watts Bar. Dot, dot, dot. And he didn't say church guy, but and he goes, well, how do you know he's talking about you? Give me a moment. He said, but now they simply go by the bar. And if you don't know anything about our history, we got the nickname the bar simply because of Watts Bar. So we embraced that. And there was a time we had a huge sign down at the road that said, welcome to the bar. And here's what that guy does not know. The people that Denise and I personally know that have told us the only reason we showed up and went to church is we saw that sign, welcome to the bar, and we said, hey, let's give this place a try. So listen, I just believe God can use anything He wants to to reach the lost. And He is not limited by our religious notions to do so. Let's go. I've got, to, I've got to get through this. Uh, when King Herod, verse uh, 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Uh, all Jerusalem with him. Get this. When he called together all the people's chief priests, you understand he's calling the, 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 the Jews, they're their high priests, they're teachers of religious law. And he asked him, where's the Messiah being born? And they tell him because they knew the prophecies in Bethlehem and Judah. They know the prophecies about the newborn king, right? He's the one they've been waiting for. And King Herod calls them in, and they say, yeah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew the prophecy. They had studied the Torah. They had read and reread the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And this is one of the things that amazes me, that a bunch of magi, people that had a different belief, they go on a search for God. But those that should have been expecting him could not be inconvenienced to go search for the new king. I know I grew up in the South. I love the South. I am a proud Southerner. But here's what I've learned. You ask somebody if they're Christian 95% of the time, yeah. Yeah. Regardless of what their life looks like, they're going to tell you, yeah. But what I'm convinced of, they may have a religious belief system, but they've never experienced a relationship relationship. With Jesus, I get why people don't like religion. I don't like religion. Religion is not what saved my life. A relationship with Jesus is what saved my life. And there's so many that only have a belief system. And you've came to church and you've experienced religion. You saw religion on display in a public market somewhere. But you've never experienced the life-transforming presence of a real personal relationship with Jesus. See, these religious teachers that Herod went to, they had a belief system, but they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Herod knows the truth. His teachers, the priests tell him, yes, it's true, but Herod doesn't even want to inconvenience himself by going searching for the king. He wants somebody else to do it for him. So he tells the magi, go find him. When you find him, come back and tell me so I can go worship. Do you know why Herod didn't want to go looking for the new king? A lot of the reasons, we wouldn't either, and we don't today. Because, see, we don't want to go looking for the real God, the real Jesus, the real king. Because then we know that will require us to step down from our throne and we are no longer kings of our kingdom. And we, we like being kings of our kingdom. We like making other rules, but a relationship with Jesus is going to require me stepping down and allowing Him to be king of my life. I'm closing with this. Bring up that nativity scene. You know, you know what I find more interesting about who's there when it comes to nativity that we know it who's not there at the nativity you got the shepherds you've got the lower class you've got these three magi got three kings hey we that, that are ready to worship but who's not in it king herod no chief priests, no religious teachers i mean isn't that odd uh, this classical portrayal of the birth of Messiah. And even if you don't believe in any of this, you can at least agree that King Herod, the chief priests, the religious leaders, they should have believed because they knew the words. They said it's true. Yet not one chief priest, not one religious teacher is in the nativity. The angels are there. The shepherds are there. Magi are there. sheep are even there. But where are all the ones that knew the prophecies? Where are all the ones that were supposed to be expecting the arrival of Jesus? See, over the past um, few years, we've seen a rise in, in a voice declaring Jesus cannot be the only way. That Jesus is just one of many ways to God. And we've seen that on the rise, and it's getting louder and louder and louder. And I'll hear things like, if Jesus is the only way, what about those who were born somewhere else or those that were born with a different belief system or no belief system at all? What about those people? And I'm going say, you mean like the Zoroastrians that God used a star to reach? Or I hear, what about the person that didn't grow up like you, P.K.? He didn't have the privilege of growing up in a Christian home and learning about Jesus. Or what about the one that was raised atheist or agnostic, Hindu or Buddhist? Or Kelly, what about the one that was, has messed up over and over, blown it over and over again? Or what about the person that did grow up in church, but they saw so much hypocrisy, suffered so much hurt, that they're in a place they want nothing to do with God or the church anymore? Here's what I am finding: A lot of times when we're pointing out somebody else's distance between them and God, we're trying to take the attention away of how far away from God we are. Because if we compare their distance from God with ours, ours doesn't seem so bad. But there's only one distance that matters. That's the distance to the heart. See, one of the things I've learned through my 55, almost 56 years on this earth is that God is not and cannot and will not be limited by anything, anyone, or any distance when it comes to reaching us. He has proved time and time again that he will go the distance. If I could get Bubba to come on up. i told this story before, but it just feels fitting when we're looking at the true meaning of Christmas. I don't know if you've heard of a guy named Brennan Manning. Um. He, he's the author of one of my favorite books uh, about, about grace um, it's an older book but Brennan was a priest that ended up becoming an alcoholic and, and in one of his books he talks about ending up being homeless in Fort Lauderdale Florida he said he remembers one time in particular when he was homeless there in Florida and he was so done in by the world and he was full of pain and hurt He said a woman with a young child came walking by and the young child wanted to get a closer look at this broken, homeless man. And so she goes up to him and the mother ran up, grabbed the child and said, don't be around that filth and kicked Brennan in the ribs, breaking two of his ribs. Brennan writes this about how though others ran away from him, He says the reckless love of God just would not give up on him. He says this, that Jesus didn't run from this broken priest, this mess of a man. But while while others ran from him, Jesus ran toward him. In, In his book, The Furious Longing of God, Brennan says this about the love of God. He says, 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love. In human beings, love is a quality, a high-priced virtue. But in God, love is His identity. It is who He is. He can't not love. It's who He is. That's why He will go as far as using something we would deem unworthy to use to bring three astrologers to Christ. That's why he would use something to bring an atheist to Christ. That's why God would use a music, anything. Listen, he is not limited. We put the limits on him. But I'm telling you, God is after you. Some of you, you thought you were here today out of coincidence. Some of you thought you are here today for a baby dedication. Or just to get somebody off your back. I'm going to show up just to get them off my back. Some of you just came because that's what you do on Sundays in the South. But what you didn't realize was God was setting you up. And using something that you wouldn't even think about to get you in a place where you can hear that He loves you recklessly. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what you're done. Listen. He is not limited by anything. He's not limited by any distance, any addiction, any failure, any divorce, any sin, any sexual misidentity. He's not even limited by your disbelief in Him. Stand with me across this room. When you get down to the crux of the Christmas story, here's what it is. John 3, 16. God so loved the world... Not God so loved those that had it all together. God so loved those that were perfect. Those that, uh, God so loved those that were okay. No, he loved the world. In our broken, messed up, jacked up place. He loved us so much. but he knew, hey, I'm going to go after them. They don't even know I'm coming. They don't even ask for me. But I'm going after the love of my life, my bride. And I know this, there are going to be times that they're going to be unfaithful to me. I'm still going. There are going to be those that reject my love. i am still got to go. That's how much he loves you. Today's the day you leave religion behind embrace a relationship. Heads bowed, eyes closed all over this room. I know, I know, no. there are those here today you've experienced religion and it was ugly, it turns you off. And you've experienced some of the hurt, but I'm not inviting you to a religion, I'm inviting you to a relationship with Jesus. And here's the thing, up. You don't have to get it all together. He loves you right where you're at. And He loves you enough that He's not going to leave you right where you're at. And I know there are those here today that God has been dealing with. And you thought you were just here out of coincidence, but you've discovered He was setting you up. You've realized in this moment you need to surrender your life to Christ and begin a journey of a relationship with Jesus and find out what that's all about. And if that's you and you're ready to do that today, I know you're here. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you wherever you're at. Come on. I know you're here. Come on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, in the back. Yeah, yes, yes. mind raising her hand just, just keep it raised up there just for a second yeah 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 keep it yeah hey, Casey would you go right back there hey Brand, over there in the corner in that back corner I'm going to send somebody to you to pray with you but what you need to know is we are for you one more If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor? There's some areas in my life that I've not surrendered to Him. I'm still king, trying to be king of those areas in my life. I I, I haven't been willing to just give them up to Him and let Him have them. Today, man, trying to be king is wearing me out. And I can't do it anymore. And I just need to surrender this area of my life to Him. If that's you, and you know there's an area of your life that you've not fully surrendered to him, that you need to do it today, hands in the air. Come on, I want to see you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Father, you see every hand in this place that is raised. Thank you for their courage. Thank you for their courage, God. I pray right now, God, you would give them the courage to step down off that throne. Whatever that area is that they've tried to be king, they've tried to maintain, they're afraid of giving it up to you. But let them see you can be trusted with it. You can be trusted with it. We surrender to you.
1: Hurting, and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of sin. Jesus is calling. You. Have you come to the end of sin Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is
0: calling. checkered past but grace covered a multitude of sins see then it comes down to it we're broken people maybe my brokenness is different from yours but it's still broken and where do we get this idea that as long as we put on a front that we're not broken that that would somehow heal itself A lot of that pride, that's what keeps a lot of us from just saying I'm broken. I'm broken in this area. And until we admit the areas we're broken in, God can't begin to mend those areas. I don't know what your brokenness is. I know what mine is. And I am very real and open about my brokenness. Those that are in my circle, my men's I'm very open about my brokenness. They know your pastor is not perfect. By far, no need to laugh, Harvey. No, by far, perfect. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. We're not doing that because this is family. If you'd admit to yourself, I got in there and I'm broken then. I'm tired of acting like that area doesn't exist I'm tired of acting like I'm I'm, I'm just going to tough it out and get through this I can and it's wearing you out I believe God said if you'll just admit your brokenness before me then I can start work on you if that's you and I just have, I'm telling you, God's tired. We didn't do this at 9 a.m. I feel like God's saying to it right here, if that's you. And you're willing to say, yeah, I've got an area I'm so broken in. I'm tired of hiding it. I'm tired of to act like I'm not broken. Acting like I'm strong enough to get through it. And I'm just ready to give it to God. If that's you, I'm going to count three and I want you step out. Find your way up here if it's Yeah, not even waiting for it. One. I know there's more than this. If I can get some altar workers to come up here and help right? come on, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. God's moving. Keep coming, keep coming. If that's you, I'm broken. I'm just tired of it. I'm, I'm trying to act like I've got it all together. I'm trying to act like things are okay, but man, the truth is, I'm broken. I'm broken. Help, Lydia. put your hands in direction. Russell, come up here for
1: I just really feel impressed upon my heart to share another element that I feel like somebody in this room may be struggling with. A lot of times we have a breakdown in relationships with other people and a breakdown with God. Jesus. But there's also another one that a lot of us forget about or we push it aside and it's forgiveness of self. And I feel like there's people in this room that need to address that they need to forgive themselves before they can move any further. That God's already forgiven you so you need to forgive yourself. So if there are people here in this room that really are, are just keeping on those negative words to yourself that the enemy loves to give to you, Today's the day to stop doing that. Forgive yourself and move on so that God can do His work in your life. So if there's anyone that needs to do that, you can come, up for, come forward for prayer for that as well.
0: Amen. Sometimes we are the hardest people to forgive ourselves. And the enemy will use that in broken areas of our life to keep heaping shame to keep heaping stuff up on us. Tell us we're the problem, we're the reason, we're, we're, we're what's wrong. And God wants to do some healing.